In order that I should feel the pangs of hell most fiercely, Providence in its wisdom has decreed that I should taste heaven before I die. This is to be sure a peculiarly English heaven, but it is hard to conceive of a French or Italian one half so comfortable or so pleasing. The presiding genius of the place is, of course, Lord Egremont, of whom you have heard much. He is a most remarkable personage. I have spent only a few minutes in his company, yet I have felt the nature of the man in my bones. It is difficult to explain or account for. He exudes a sense of mastery so complete that he need not exert it. He is all kindness and welcome, but one knows by a kind of instinct that he is quick to anger, and that his wrath, when unleashed, is most terrible. He takes, I think, a silent delight in knowing that all those around him live in fear— although, in spite of that, he appears a delightful old gentleman of the gruff, old-fashioned school. He is almost eighty, yet as active as a healthy man of fifty. Every morning after breakfast he buttons on his leather gaiters and goes out to inspect some part of his vast agricultural enterprise. It is curious to stand in one of the drawing-rooms here and look out upon the park— and see this English Mycenas making his way across the great lawn, his favourite brown spaniels following close behind. Behind the hounds comes a boy leading his horse and other functionaries and factotums, all waiting on his merest nod or grunt. One's only obligation while a guest here, as near as I can make out, is to be agreeable and not to get in Lord Egremont's way. Those guests who delight in the hunt join his lordship when he rides, those more peaceably inclined are given the freedom of the house and the grounds. There is much to do. One can play billiards in the marble room, find a comfortable chair in the library, or go to the North Gallery, which contains what many say is the finest collection of pictures in all England. One can also retire, as I have done, to one's own room. I have never before spent the night in a room so grand— There are high ceilings with curious carvings, crimson walls hung with paintings that would find pride of place in the drawing-rooms of most noble houses, and various pieces of antique furniture. My bed, for example, could comfortably sleep six. Although you know, dear David, that only a certain one, in addition to myself, would make my paradise complete. I almost fear that I am in danger of smothering when I lie down, such is the profusion of soft blankets and feather beds. There is a remarkable portrait of Lady Mary Villiers, by Van Dyke, no less, glowering over me, and despite her fierce expression I have taken it into my head that she will keep me safe from all harm. Sometime toward the late afternoon his lordship returns, wet through and through, and either cursing like a fishmonger, or dispensing smiles all round depending on what he has learned. He then disappears into his chambers and, as a general rule, is not seen again until about seven, when we all dine. Dinner is the only time that all the guests and hangers-on are gathered together. His lordship and Mrs. Spencer—more of her shortly—preside over an agreeable motley of about twenty people. The only sour notes in the composition are Mr. Wyndham, Egremont's heir and bastard, and his wife. He is fat— and bilious. She is thin and shrill. Both are much given to disapproving expressions of piety and contempt. Wyndham seems to resent every forkful that his father's guests consume as some diminishment of his patrimony. One half suspects that he eats as much as he does because he knows that every morsel he devours will not be given to another. 
But those two aside, it is a splendid company. There is Mr. Romney and his beautiful lady, Mr. Socket, an agreeable divine, and Mr. Gedding, the member for Pulborough. Gedding and his lordship have different views on certain agricultural matters which I do not profess to understand, and get quite heated about them. Then there are the artists. Jones, whose sea scene you much admired when we saw it in London. Simmons. And the great Turner. Turner is an unprepossessing figure, much below the average height, which seems somehow queer when you consider how grand and mighty his paintings are. He is a barrel-chested man with a large hooked nose, which is often red. He wears a suit of shabby and much-mended black, and were it not for his dirty hands and the paint under his fingernails, one would take him for a clergyman in